Welcome to the podcast edition of Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Anne Hill, and every week I explore topics related to dreams, sleep, health, culture, and consciousness. Dream Talk Radio airs every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time on KOWS 107.3 FM in Occidental, California. And you can catch the live stream at www.kows.fm. To find out more about Dream Talk Radio, visit my website at anhill.org. That's A-N-N-E-H-I-L-L dot org. Meanwhile, I hope you enjoy this edition of Dream Talk Radio. I'm talking this morning with Mary Greer, who has written several books on the Tarot, including the complete book of Tarot Reversals, Tarot for Yourself, Understanding the Tarot Court, and many other really groundbreaking books on Tarot and how to uh, understand the cards. And Mary's got over 40 years of Tarot experience, and she speaks widely all over the world and teaches people how to use Tarot and symbols in, for personal transformation. Mary, welcome to Dream Talk Radio. I'm really glad to be here, Anne. This is fabulous. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. I've been meaning to talk to you, and finally the, you know, the sort of the stars aligned, and I realized, yes, perfect time. Call Mary. So one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, I mean, obviously, I, I, if people listening need a little bit of a, of a connect the dots thing about how tarot and dreams work together, we could certainly talk about that because I mean I, I use tarot uh, metaphors a lot in working with dreams, and I'm sure you do the same thing. Well, you work with dreams in various ways too, but for me, some dreams seem like they are uh, tripartite; they're in three parts, and so I'll often say, imagine that the three scenes in this dream were like a three-card spread. You know, if we're doing past, present, and future, how would that change your reading of what this dream means for you? So there's a, there's all this interplay, and then, of course, symbols and archetypes from the tarot keep showing up in dreams all the time. So to me, there's just there's there's no separation, really, between all of these fabulous symbol systems and how they work in our psyche and in our lives. And I actually got to a point where I realized I was doing that, so I created something called um, the Life is a Dream process. Oh, yeah. turned out in investigating it that there were a couple of other people doing that, but basically it's looking at all life as if it was a dream, any particular circumstance, um, and interpreting that, writing it up as if it was a dream, first person, present tense, and then looking at the, um, the symbols and the images in it. And it's very, very powerful work. Uh, sometimes I integrate it with some tarot work also, because yes. I, I um, use tarot in interpreting dreams, so I also use it in interpreting the life as a dream process. Mm-hmm. But it really came from my uh, working with symbols in tarot. Interesting. So how did so so when you work with tarot, how do you bring dreams into that? Um, Oh, when I work with tarot, um, it's not so much, um, um, you know, working with tarot, bringing in dreams. It's more that I use tarot in dream Oh, work. I see. Yes. So um, what happens is that I just take every uh, image in a dream yeah. or the dominant ones and pull a card for it. And rather than using it as a regular um 
standard interpretation. It's more like brainstorming. Mm. What is the relationship between this tarot image and this dream image? And it sparks things that I just wouldn't have thought of otherwise. And the patterns of the cards help me see the pattern in the dream. Mm. So pulling so in it's ex- very powerful that way. So basically using tarot as an auxiliary database, inf- extra information to help illuminate what's going on in the dream. Yeah, and it, it does. It's, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, one of the most interesting things that ca- came up consistently in all the times I've done it is the card that makes the least sense for a particular image is usually the key. And once I break that, once I understand what that relationship between uh. that image and that card is, everything falls into place. Mm. So it's like the, the thing that just doesn't seem to fit. Yeah. Is usually the key. Boy, that's where I sort of get off the bus. If I pull a card for something and it just doesn't seem to fit, I kind of get—I get, I, I rarely get past the throwing up my hands in despair and say, "Oh, this is completely opaque." But uh, you know, the, one of the interesting things that's happened to me fairly recently for all of my years of doing dream work and working with the tarot—just I'm not—I don't consider myself a great tarot reader, but. Um, in conjunction with other people, I can I can do a pretty good job of, of finding patterns. But I actually had a dream with a tarot card in it, first time oh. ever. Yeah. Yeah, I was walking down this pathway um, on off a of sky on Skyline Boulevard where I grew up in Oakland, and I was you know, there's this sort of trail, this horse trail down the middle of the road, and I. Uh, found this little alcove near it that had this beautiful old sandstone carving. It was like it was sort of an art deco, but kind of a soft art deco carving. And I looked at it, and it was very faded sandstone. And I knew, oh, that's the magician card from the Thoth deck. And there was this little cement bench sitting, you know, and so it was this little alcove in the trail with the magician card. <laughs> huh, that's really interesting. So what did you uh, figure that it meant? Well, I'm that one ten nineteen life yeah. thing, so I figured that you know I just kind of applied it to all of those those card energies in my life. So kind of a confirmation that th- this is about you, and this is an important point in your journey. Yeah, exactly, exactly. For you. But I often relate dream images to tarot um, images, to tarot cards in various decks. But that was the first time in all those years that one had actually appeared in the dream. Uh huh. So. I've only had um, tarot cards appear a couple of times in, in dreams, and usually not in a way that I could really grasp yeah. even what they were. Um, although I did have one of the most amazing dreams of my life was um, one of those hyper real dreams when you wake up and you don't know why you're not still there. Oh, yeah. um, you're kind of dislocated. Uh, but in this one, I was standing in this um, old fashioned room, you know, turn of the last century. Yeah. And um, uh, it was like I was a, a tourist uh, and touring this house. And the woman who was, um, you know, guiding people around uh, went up to a mantle and pulled, took down a box. And she said, um, you know, you've arrived. Um, I was told long ago that somebody would come and that I would know immediately that I am to give these to you. And she handed me the box that contained the originals of Pamela Coleman Smith's um, tarot deck. Oh, my goodness. I know. And it was like...
like I said, hyper real. It was so real that it was uh, uncanny. Mm. And um, I, I remember standing in the room. The room was so clear around me, and I was, you know, just overwhelmed. And then I woke up. And a couple of months later is when Volume 3 of uh, the Encyclopedia of the Tarot came out that mm-hmm. uh, Stuart Kaplan put together, and he had a photograph of the room of this house that she had bought that was turned into a priest retreat. And I looked at the room, and it was the room I had been in. Wow. And it was it was just one of those things. I was staring at this photo going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. What the did only thing was that there was a, a um, in the photo, um, the center of the room was kind of clear, and in my dream there was a table in the center of the room. Oh, interesting. That was the only difference. What do you take the dream? I mean, it, in hyper real dreams, do you look at them symbolically, or do you look at them in terms of more of an actual like visitation? Uh, both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both. I mean, um, I I did um, when I was telling that dream once to a couple of people. Somebody um, spoke up and said they had had the same dream, and so I wondered if maybe mm-hmm. it was something that kind of was spotting in various people's lives. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, you know, it's not necessarily that it's just me that was having mm-hmm. this experience, but that there are um, a lot of people, whether they have the dream or remember it or not that are somehow contacted that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it may be something much bigger than, than me or, or just a connection to me. Um, it didn't change the fact that it had been such a powerful dream for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've only had a couple of others where, you know, I, I woke up feeling like I was completely dislocated mm-hmm. um, where I was. And, and I've never really totally understood because one or two of them were very mundane and, uh, and a couple of others were really powerful. Yeah. So um, I just take them as gifts. Yeah, that's a, that's a sensible response. <laughs> <laughs> well, and yeah, this... How about you? I mean, when you've had those really hyper-real dreams. Yeah. I I mean, it, when you have, I mean, when I have these hyper-real dreams, it's very difficult to get past, at, at least on first blush, to get past the, wow, this was an actual, you know, literal event that happened on some plane that I, I was part of. And so mm-hmm. I kind of have to sit with that. The energy of that transmission or that connection, that meeting is so strong. I really have to sort of sit with it and let that kind of go all through my system, you know, physical, etheric body systems. And then, but I always hold out the 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 notion that there are multiple meanings to the dream, just because I always think that that's true. And so eventually it'll kind of filter in and I'll think, oh yeah, okay, there's that. You know, there's it, it fits in with all of these other things, but for a while it, I really, I just have to sit with the enormity of the experience. It's such a, um, y- you know, it's like we're, we're kind of experiencing this, this very much in, more intense vibration than we're normally used to in waking life. So mm-hmm. it takes a while to assimilate. Yeah, I find that it, it helps to write it down because even if at first I'm just, you know, as you say, experiencing the enormity of it, um, by writing it down, I'm able to look at it more objectively later. Yes, I think that's really true. Yeah. Definitely true. 
In fact, I was just talking with some uh, students down at um, the Institute for Transpersonal Psych yesterday, down in Palo Alto, and we were talking about healing from trauma, when we have big traumas and then we dream about those things. And it's sort of a similar type of energy. Those dreams can be so intense that anything that we do to write them down or to speak them actually helps the that energy assimilate and then you know we can kind of wrap it into the rest of our psychic functioning but yeah and that's what happens in the life is a dream process mm -hmm. is that um, by writing the situation down and especially writing it in a form that you know I find very helpful for dreams which is that first person present tense yes. as if you're actually going through it what happens is um, that the life experience starts sounding just exactly like a dream, and you realize there's not that much difference, yeah. um, especially because with life as a dream, we usually look at unusual life circumstances or things where crazy things are happening, and you're going, why me? What's going yeah. on? And um, you're, you're wanting to get a handle on, you know, what is this trying to tell me? Right. So those circumstances usually have something odd enough that when you write it down, the same way as you write down a dream, it starts sounding exactly like a dream. Yeah. And it has that kind of odd, disjointed kind of thing. And then you're able to look specifically at the images. And we do a lot of processes with it then that are regular um, dream processes. I've been working with those a long time, so I've got a whole bunch of them and ones that I like more than others. Um, and then we also spend quite a bit of time looking at the symbol symbols, which gets back to mm -hmm. what I learned um, in working with the symbolism and tarot cards. Yeah. But it goes beyond it because it's dealing with mundane things that we don't normally find in tarot cards. So I've got both, um, you know, uh, tarot books of symbols as right. well as dream books. And I find really helpful for interpreting dreams are dictionaries. Oh, yeah. And that's because when you look up a word in a dictionary, sometimes one of the alternate meanings is really significant. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, just a synonym yes. suddenly makes everything clear. Or the root of the word. Right. Is, um, and, the, and antonyms, too, although most dictionaries don't carry those, yeah. but you get a hint of it. Yeah. Yeah, a great example of this dream we worked on yesterday in this class, there was a carriage house, sort of a turn-of-the-century carriage house, and we were talking about, you know, carriage, what does that mean? And there's all these different carrying and, and different sort of transportation things, but then there's also carriage as in posture. Oh, yeah. And so it just put this totally different spin on the dream. Mm -hmm. This well-maintained carriage house. <laughs> that's exactly what I, I, I mean, and, yeah. and that's so exciting when those things happen. Yeah, that happens because life is a dream stuff just as, as much. Well, um, the, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the life is a dream. What a great practice. I mean, along with everything else, just having the practice of looking at mundane pieces of our lives in terms of the dream content the symbolic content of that. And it's so true, and I, I, I mean, I, it's just such a great practice on so many different levels. And one of the interesting things in terms of integrating the meaning for yourself or coming to resolution about something is that most dream work practices, you own everything in the dream. Yeah. So all the other people in your dream or parts of you 
um, all the objects or parts of you, like the carriage house is your carriage, mm -hmm. your, you know, your physical carriage. Um, so when you apply that to life circumstances, especially ones that have been distressing in the past, and, and sometimes we'll look at like major turning points that were really distressing, agonizing, difficult mm -hmm. to deal with, and, and we'll go back through those. Um, by owning all the symbols and including the different people that were involved in the situation, it gives you a sense of power instead of feeling victimized and yeah. allows you to integrate all those different pieces into yourself. That is so true. It really does allow you to to actually live your own life in a way. Yeah, and, much and make choices in a totally different way. Yes. And then there's a the magical thing that happens. You may have found this with dreams, but I found it even more with the life as a dream process, is that often people will come in with a very tense situation about something, and we do the work. And at the end of it, the next, you know, when I do it in ongoing classes, the next week when people come back, whoever's dream it was the previous week always gives us some uh, feedback and anybody oh, else at something that's turned up. Over and over again, I found that something shifts in the circumstances so that the issue is no longer a problem or some ah. piece of it totally transforms without the person having to do anything right. to a marked degree. Um, just a quick example is one person did something um, about a dog. Um, she was a vet, and she uh, raises dogs, but there was a neighbor's dog who was horrendous and just creating all kinds of problems in their lives to the point that she even fantasized about poisoning it and horrified wow. herself, which is why she decided to do the life as a dream because she was yeah. so horrified she had gotten to that point. And um, so we did all the symbolism of it and everything. It was really interesting and exciting. And next week we came, she came back and we said, well, what happened with the dog? And she goes, the dog, hmm. I haven't heard the dog. I haven't seen the dog. <laughs> and every week we'd say, well, where's the dog? And she'd go, I haven't seen the dog. I, I don't know uh, what happened. <laughs> so the dog disappeared from her life. <laughs> that is so interesting. Well, And that's such a perfect example because once you really flesh out and accept all of that, the whole level of things that you're worried about, somehow the dream comes or the life, the, the dream that is our life, Sort of brings you into a whole different, a whole different perspective where the the things that you thought were sort of the cardinal points of your life are no longer really that. Yeah, you know, it's really, it is a mystery. It's well, it's what I call magic, and yeah. I don't know what else to say about it because yeah. it's something that just kind of happens and. You know, we tend to think of magic as something, you know, if we can learn the right things that we can, um, you know, create it. We can say a spell. We can right. something happen through a ritual. But um, this is one where you kind of do the work without expecting any particular thing to be the outcome. Yeah. Other than insight and more awareness and knowledge. And, um, you know, hopefully a, a new perspective that might allow you to make new choices mm -hmm. that... Um, but but not anything really uh, concrete. And what so often happens is that something else external shifts. Yeah. And, um, you know, I really, mystery is a good word. Yeah, mystery or magic. Um, again, it's that idea of a gift. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know what it is. I'm yeah. just continually amazed. We're we're talking with Mary Greer this morning on Dream Talk Radio, and uh, if you want to learn more about Mary's work with the Tarot and the Life is a Dream process, let's see, you have a WordPress blog, right, Mary? It's The URL is Mary Greer. Yeah, Mary Greer. Yeah. Uh, MaryGreer.wordpress.com. Yeah, great blog, by the way, with all kinds of interesting stuff about the history of Tarot and your travels and different decks and just really fat and a lot of different interviews, too. So, tons of information. Um, I've been getting a few more of those, uh, both done with me or by me or, you know, oh, that's great. variety of things yeah. that's more recent. And um, another thing that I really like uh, doing on there is what I call reclaimed tarot spreads, yeah. where I'm bringing out some of the classic tarot spreads that tend to get forgotten in all the modern, um, oh, you know, creation of, of spreads, right. but often have something of value to them um, and, you know, redoing those, uh, teaching yeah. those to people. Well, you know, I think uh, I've one of the things that I am all, have always been impressed um, by with you is that, you know, when you're traveling the symbolic realms, when, say, you, you're majoring in uh, tarot in your life, you know, you're really f- uh, devoting yourself to a set of symbols and things, it's really, that type of work is so... Uh, subjective. Everybody has their different relationship to the symbols, and it's very hard to be in that realm, I find, that for any length of time, and then have any sort of sensibility to. I mean, there, you need to be able to find a way to say, all of these things may be relative, but this is actually absolute. You know, not You have to have some sort of a touchstone and not kind of get totally lost in the ether. So that's always one of the things that I've admired about your work is that it's just sensible and practical in this way, as well as being open to all kinds of multiple interpretations of various symbols. And like you were talking about, all the different tarot spreads, I quickly get overwhelmed by all of that stuff. So it's nice that that you have the flexibility to really branch out and then just come back to very specific, practical things. Well, it's interesting that when you talk about the, all the, the spreads, because there are so many now. I mean, books of uh, spreads, and you go online and you can find thousands of more. Um, what I do is I basically use just a couple of spreads, um, when I, especially if I'm reading for others, because I know them so well mm-hmm. that I don't have to think about what a card means and how it yeah. might relate to, or position means and how it might relate to other positions. I know what I call the underground passageways mm. between the different positions in the spread, so I get an immediate portrait that's very, very clear. But in classes or when I'm just doing my own work about something, um, I'll uh, experiment with other spreads. Mm-hmm. and. Yes, they're all valuable in their own way. So I love doing it in, in classes where we get to try things out. Yeah. Um, or, you know, when I, I just go, hey, I want to look at something from a completely fresh perspective. Yes. That's how we use a different spread. And and that's one of the things with uh, dreams is that a lot of us, uh, it is, we're wanting to look at something from a fresh perspective, mm-hmm. get a different take on it. and. When I've looked at all the possibilities of how tarot works, it basically comes down to if you take away all the woo-woo, you know, magic, that it's, it could be simply projection, that we are projecting onto 
the cards, what's going on in our life, but it allows us to see the patterns of those projections, to yeah. understand how we're perceiving things if we look at it that way. Um, but there still is this other level of things that happen, and yes. I no longer try to explain that. Yes. Well, I, I, I mean, that is the big mystery in Tarot as well as dream work and everything else, and I think part of it has to do with, and, and I don't know if it's possible to explain it, but I'm getting to the idea of there being, I, I, we're, we're not in charge of everything. We're just not. And, and for all of the good that projection and, and owning our projections and understanding that process, for all the good that that has in it, and it's a tr- tremendous of tremendous value, I think there's also a place where there is just an intelligence behind all of that. It's somehow the intelligence that allows the dog to kind of disappear once all of the issues have been fleshed out and and uncovered. You know, there's, there's some sort of ordering mechanism that changes our dreams when we learn to confront a pursuer in our dream and it just shifts the dream that's not something that we control we control our action in observing and owning our part of that but then that allows this big not knowing consciousness to to work yeah and that happens in tarot all the time where if you're doing regular readings for yourself certain cards will come up and start appearing for a period of time in, in practically every reading. They can shift position, but they're there over and over and over again. And when the, it, it's kind of like it's um, not necessarily even saying that today you're going to have something happen. Like people notice it a lot when it, uh, the tower starts appearing. Mm, mm-hmm. Keep waiting for the tower to strike. <laughs> and they might go through a couple of months of having the tower come up and go, what's going on because there isn't any big sudden cataclysmic thing yeah. but it feels ominous something yeah. and then finally something will happen mm. and i've known people who've um, been fired from their job when they kept saying i should leave but they didn't wow. um or uh, suddenly moving in an unexpected way um but after months of getting the tower but then after that thing happens they don't get the tower anymore ah uh. So it's this build-up, and it can be this palatable thing. And the reason why you know I notice it is it's not only happened to me, but I've seen it happen to quite a few friends where I've actually gone through a period where they're going to me, why does the tower keep coming up? What am I supposed to do? You know, but I, I know I need to quit my job, but I can't. You know, yeah. those kinds of things going on. And then finally, you know, my saying after they get fired or something, yeah. they suddenly lose their house situation saying, well, what's happening with the tower? And they're going, what? Oh, oh, yeah, the tower. <laughs> so oh, yeah. Gone. All hell broke loose, and now I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. But the fact that it, um, it can take a while for it to manifest. Mm-hmm. And, of course, if you're doing daily readings, you're looking for where is it happening today. Right. And it's not always about that. That's really true, especially with those big cards, those big major arcana cards. They're, they are forces... Uh, that that are just moving through, the, they're like forces of nature, really. Yeah. Yeah. And like before a storm, when you're, you're feeling the shift in the air, um, you know, now I've 
in the last couple of years, I've gotten sinus stuff, so I can always tell from my sinuses oh, and yeah. uh, weather is shifting suddenly. Yes. And, um, you know, it's like, uh-oh, I wake up in the morning and I know something shifted. Yeah. And um, so, you know, we, we get that effect, but sometimes even a month or two beforehand. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's a little unnerving when it's happening because you can't, again, put that specific context Mm-hmm. to the card it's only the experience of having lived through something like that that it starts making sense what it, what's going on yeah and it, sometimes in uh, helping people with their dreams they'll have some big cataclysmic event occur like uh, there's a death in the dream or there's something that some huge sort of uh, titanic force going on in the dream and, and one of the things that I tell people is, well, you know, imagine that this is already happening. Usually when dream symbols come, they come to show us not something that's going to happen at some point in the future, but some major force that's already at work in our lives. Uh-huh. You know, so there's this the sense that, like, even with the people you were talking about with the tower, there is that thing, that that conflict, that tension set up, which is sort of the yeah. first rumblings of the tower already. Yeah, you feel the shift in yeah. the environment even before the, you know, weather event happens. Yes, <laughs> right. right. <Yeah. laughs> well, this kind of uh, ties neatly into what I really wanted to talk to you about, or what I imagined I wanted to talk to you about this morning, which is the idea how symbols work in the culture at large. I mean, we've been talking about our individual lives, but at some point, you know, all of these tarot symbols and dream symbols work in the collective too and that for me is a really especially now i think with the um the big oil spill and just seeing i live out on the coast and everybody here is responding to that as though it were happening in their very own life i mean there's something yeah. about the ocean that is just people immediately understand what that is it's a catastrophe and so and it, and unlike other things that have happened in the environment and the political sphere this seems to cut across and so it really it's made me start thinking even more deeply about that idea of symbols working in the culture right actually i haven't even really looked at that um you know you know an oil spill off the uh the coast here um the largest oil spill. I've, I've thought of it in terms of uh, the difference it c- might make in the communities, but not so much in terms of the, the symbolism of it. Mm. Um, greasing something to happen. Right, right. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and I mention that because I'm, I'm thinking of Bellinas. I moved to Bellinas oh, yeah. uh, just a few years, like around five years or less after there had been a major oil spill there. Mm. And what happened was all the environmentalists uh, kind of uh, brought people together to uh, take care of the birds and mm-hmm. um, the, the different creatures and to mobilize people about what was happening and what our responsibility was towards that. Yeah. And they ended up getting elected to the water board, because um, Bolinas is a oh, water district, yes. not a, a technical town. So uh, they were able to change the direction that the town was taking, and I was wondering if there would be a bit of that along the coast of the United States in areas Mm. that are traditionally pretty um, uh, conservative, if 
people coming together might not shift the awareness that you know we are uh, groups that need to work together mm-hmm. to make happen and that we've got a responsibility to all of the creatures and all of nature that um, under our care specifically, but that also the awareness that we really are one planet. And that's what I saw happen in Bolinas, both more of a community awareness and an awareness of how we're really dependent on the nature around us and we need to work with that, as well as... um, a sense that we need to take that awareness into a broader context yes. of, you know, the whole world. Um, I don't know if it was just, you know, a very special community, which it was, or if that's something that's going to happen all along that, um, you know, southeastern coastline, the Gulf Coast. Yeah. I will, well, certainly it's the $64,000 question for most um, activists or you know, or anybody who's trying to mobilize pu- uh, 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 public opinion around a certain issue. How do I strike to the heart of this? How do I make people understand that this inv- involves them as well? And it really is kind of like looking at, you know, a tarot spread or a dream for the entire country or even larger and trying to figure out how to interpret that in, ter- in terms that people will respond to, how to get people to see the interrelation of all of these symbols. It's really fascinating to me because I think um, tarot and dreams have that power and I, we see the, the uh, popularized use of certain symbols in advertising all the time. So... There, I, I'm wondering at the cross section there how those how those strands of thought converge and whether you uh, you know what you do you ever see sort of um, oh experience writ large in a in a tarot deck a tarot uh, reading. Um, I I have done primarily with groups question you know questions around larger issues. Yeah. And, for instance, I just now, um, as we were talking, uh, pulled a card for, mm. um, you know, what the oil spill symbolized. And the first card I got was the Knight of Swords, mm. which is, you know, anger on one hand, but also riling people up, waking people up, and a determination to act. Yes. Um, so certainly it's bringing up a lot of anger in people, and but also it could, as you said, mobilize people. Yeah. Um, in a particular way. And I thought I'd just pull another card mm-hmm. for the long-term consequences of this. Um, I mean, there's a lot of questions. Yeah. But the emperor, which I kind of shiver a little bit when I see it because it does uh, suggest that some big major group, I mean the emperor, CEO, of pres- the president mm-hmm. of the United States, mm-hmm. how taking over, it makes me think that there would be... Um, Hopefully, well, on the good side, maybe more legislation, yes. uh, but it's not the justice card. So, right. um, but that idea of rule and law, which could be good if we actually got some laws in place, yeah. it could be bad if it means a lot more control. Um, uh, you know, kind of authority taking over lives above and beyond. Right. Um, those kinds of things. I mean, that's what we see in so many countries today. Is yes. that individuals' um, um, privacy gets invaded, but 
the the terrorists and the uh, corporations get free reign. Right. <laughs> and right. Um, so when I see the emperor, I'm a little leery of that. I I, I would like to see something coming up, up from a level that's not that. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me fear. So what's the best that can come from all of that and see what card appears? Um, the Seven of Wands, people standing up. That, uh, the Seven of Wands shows a, um, a person um, hold, like Little John in the um, uh, Robin Hood myth right. holding a, a, a wand, a staff, right. across as if he's beating off these other staff. Yeah. And it's... Um, Based on the other cards, I would say that that's people who are saying, you know, enough is enough. This is uh, where the line stops. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be a good response of people to um, any um, over-control by corporations. Right. Um, I mean, the emperor, to me, just makes me think a little bit too much of corporations kind of getting to, to rule things. Yeah, uh, authority yeah, for the for its own sake. Back. Yeah, hmm. more the control aspect of authority rather than the helpful regulatory aspect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could go either way. So, uh, but people mm-hmm. speaking out in that seven of wands could be good. Yes. Know, challenging things and saying, wait, you know, don't find us. Find the corporations. You know, do right. uh, you know address the issue, not turn it all on the um, the rest of the people. Boy, that's going to be a hard one to, to the hard uh, needle to thread for everybody involved, just really, you know, trying well, what's to... what's your sense of the symbolism in this oil spill? Well, like I said, I, it was really brought home to me because I, I live out in Bodega Bay, and um, every... I, and I was just uh, at uh, having a little glass of wine with at the wine shop last Friday, and talking to this woman from San Ramon, who sometimes comes up in the, on the weekends. People from all over California end up at this little wine shop. It's a great way for me to sort of touch into like what are people thinking, what are people's lives like from in other, what brings them out here. And you know, people come to the ocean because it's so such a powerful. Uh, relaxer. It's just so meditative. You, you know, you get recharged from the ocean. So anyway, this woman, she's she's very conservative. Didn't want to say a lot. It was sort of, you know, maybe I was looking a little too scruffy for her or something. But we were every so often having a little bit of an interchange there. And out of the blue, after this silence, she just said, she says, "I'm just imagining if that oil spill was here." And it was as though this sort of anvil had been thunked in the middle of the room. And, I, I mean, she was just, I mean, she really, like, taking in the whole enormity of the oil spill and seeing what it would have, just looking at the the bay in front of us as though that were where it had happened. And it really hit me then how much this is hitting everybody. I mean, I've talked to to people who just are, you know, fly fishermen and so forth, and everybody's like, they get the enormity of this. And so symbolically, that was really striking to me because there's very few issues that you can talk about with people from really diverse walks of life that has that, like, I know what this would mean to me in my life right now. There's that immediacy and that deep symbolic connection um, soul connection to the ocean. It's all those things together. It was just really a 
jaw-dropping moment for me. Yeah. And I, I do think that there's going to be pockets of communities that are going to become more activist who are directly yeah. dealing with, with this yeah. in, like I said, areas that were formerly very conservative because they're going to realize how delicate the balance of everything is. Mm-hmm. It, for the first time, it's really going to strike them home. I, um, I wonder, you, you're on the co- we're on the coast and we're aware of these things. I wonder if people yeah. in the middle of America have the same realization. Yeah, I wonder. It would be interesting, like you're up in Nevada City or thereabouts, right? Yeah, although people here, you know, have spent plenty of time along the ocean, whereas you've got some people mm-hmm. in mid-America who've never been to either coast. Yeah. Yeah, well, that would be really interesting to see just what, where, um, you know, where people are at in terms of imagining the enormity of it. Yeah. Yes, we are uh, talking. It depends too, I guess, on how much they watch television and pick up yeah. you know, images or yeah, you know, see that kind of thing. I don't watch a lot of news on TV, but I do go when I'm interested in something to YouTube to you yeah. know, because you get some really dedicated. Um, videographers who get out there and and get very very good clips of things yeah um that you wouldn't see otherwise it that would be a really interesting thing but you know my hunch is that even in middle in the middle of the country where people don't often go out to the coast there's still that resonance of the water and the ocean that would really uh, they it would be one of those things that that you just get like oh yeah we get shrimp from the gulf coast you know, yeah. no longer. So well, it, it's going to take a while for that to all, um, you know, really sink in, yeah. and uh, for people to suddenly see things disappear from um, the market. Or, unfortunately, what happens is all of a sudden, um, if people look carefully, they'll see that their shrimp is coming from somewhere else, yeah. and another part of the world, uh, because yeah. of the global economy. Suddenly, things get pulled in from somewhere. Yes. Um, you know, we don't always anymore have that awareness that, um, you know, there's been a local disaster um, from the grocery store because they just pull it in from somewhere else. That's right. So, um, you know, we do have to make an effort to really be aware of what's going on and what the implications of it Mm -hmm. if you're not seeing it or experiencing it directly. Mm -hmm. Um, It's I don't know. It, it, it's an open book as to what's going to happen with this. Um, and then also how much of what we um, we actually hear is real and true and how much isn't right. because um, the, the media tends to slant things particular ways and then you talk to individuals who are involved in things and you find that you know, the people who are actually dealing with situations are dealing with something quite different than what's being portrayed. Yes. Well, so, um, I mean, that talks to that bigger issue that you were talking about, the symbolism in the culture, which tends to go to myth. Mm-hmm. And myth has two sides. One, it can be inspiring. And the occult world is full of myths that most people get presented on first glance as if it was real, and they join organizations because they mm-hmm. have this history that goes back. And then if they really delve into the area, if they do any research, they'll find at some point that those things never happened. Mm-hmm. And they go into a quandary. Does that mean that the whole thing was a lie or what? Right. You know, why did was this kind of perpetuated, this 
this myth, and so many of the occult organizations have a myth behind them that's presented as the true history yes. of the organization. Um, even the tarot has that, you know, that it came from Egypt. Right. And you'll find books today that talk about it coming from Egypt or, um, you know, Fez Morocco or some other thing. When we do have a lot of historical information about the tarot, not the actual creator of it, but we do know the time and the period and the place pretty closely, which was um, uh, 15th century northern Italy, uh, probably between 1440, um, 1420 and 1440, probably in Milan or Ferrar, mm -hmm. uh, definitely you know small little group of uh, towns that were very tightly related to each other. Um, and so it, it came out of a Christian context, uh, you know, Renaissance, Northern Italian uh, perspective, and you can see those images all over Northern Italy yeah. uh, from the period and right before that period, for, from about 100 years before, they had become common in the culture. Hmm. So uh, it's a very different history um, than what's presented in right. uh, any of the books until more recently when people have started, you know, really... Um, talking about what actually happened. But okay. there's still people, I picked up a book recently that said, we don't have no idea of where the tarot came from. <laughs> I'm going, this person obviously did no checking yes. whatsoever because all that information is readily available now. Well, and it's, doesn't it speak to this wishing, desiring for a more mysterious uh, genesis of this whole, <laughs> of this whole yeah. system? If it's something that just happened in medieval Italy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love the idea. Um, it was um, a story that's gone around that a, a small child asked uh, what the difference between myth and history was, said that a, um, a myth is true on the inside and a lie on the outside. Mm, history nice. is a lie on the, uh, uh, inside. On the inside. Uh, truth on the outside. Wow. So um, to me that really kind of sums up what's going on because mm -hmm. uh, you get all the historical facts and you may have no real understanding of what was going on for the people because the facts become so predominant mm -hmm. that um, they supposedly are the reality when they're often just what the winning group decided was the history. Yes. It's what the knowledgeable, the um, educated people wrote down, but it may be totally different than what the uneducated people were actually experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the common people, their lives may have been so far different from anything that goes into, you know, the, the written form that then, then gets taken as factual history. Right. Um, you know, the evidence, which is one reason why people try to balance any kind of written documents with what we can find in culture through image and symbols uh, and paintings and works, but those still tend to be from uh, one level of the culture and not all the people, not everything that was going on. Hmm. Um, so um, the, the history can, can be a lie in that we're not really seeing the reality, just like you think of the historians of any war, yeah. you know, that's not what was happening for the people. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the winning perspective is all 
but you know something really precious may have been driven out and um you know, <clears throat> turned into myth <laughs> yes. because nobody believes that it ever existed anymore. Um, myths, on the other hand, are can, can't be substantiated factually and have no indication often that there was any reality to them, although a few myths have turned out to have reality, but for the most part, they're true myths. Um, and yet they speak to something that's really true in the human heart, yes. in our souls. Well, you know, this brings up one of the other things I wanted to mention, uh, which is your recent work on, what is it, 500 years or however many years of cardomancy, and uh. looking at the different representations in art of people reading cards. And I think that's so, it kind of, that seems like it's so that the images bridge what you're talking about in terms of the difference between, you know, the royalty who were, or uh, the, who were using the cards and the everyday people's lives. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting because all the, the uh, artwork, especially the older things, um, you know, 19th century and before, or mid-19th century and before, um, almost all of it was uh, painted by men. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, uh, on the other hand, these were genre paintings. As a matter of fact, the very first, oldest painting considered of a, a card reader, cardomancer, um, is also considered to be the first genre painting. Genre paintings are slices of everyday life, mm-hmm. you know, it, just as if somebody had taken a photograph of something, just a, a normal occurrence going on in somebody's home. And um, uh, fortune-telling was one of the themes that a lot of people picked up, and I, I do think that the artist really just try to give this kind of slice of life of, of kind of a little interesting occurrence, but very much the way it literally appeared. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I trust them a lot, whereas uh, the later 19th century, you start getting into these kind of salacious images and a lot of um, later gypsy stuff where they're... Um, uh, you know, trying to make women look really sexy and right. these kind of, um, yeah, a lot of it is uh, that late 19th century sexual overlay of everything. Yeah. But before that, that that's not in the pictures um, except for a few gypsy ones. Um, most of them, though, are just scenes in someone's home. Most of the readers are older women of a lower class than the people being read for, which is, you know, we're talking about professional cardomancers for right. the most part, you know, semi-professional. Um, there is a, a group of ones that would be the amateurs, the young women who pick up a book and, and read for themselves in hopes of love. That's another whole category that appears pretty regularly. Right. <clears throat> but one of the things that really struck me is that most of the books on fortune-telling and cardomancy focus on um, or, or mention in there this kind of, um, you know, we know this is a silly but fun, entertaining pastime, and nobody really believes it, but it can be fun for young women. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's this kind of snide. <laughs> um, they want people to buy the books, but they mm-hmm. also don't want uh, more serious people who glance at it to think that the authors really believed in this stuff yes. because almost all of it was written by men or copied from other earlier works by uh, male publishers who were putting it out and it was sort of their bread and butter they could make a lot of money from these 
books and, and finance their more serious work uh-huh. that they didn't want people to think that they were really serious about, but they wanted it to sell. Mm-hmm. So you get an ambivalence about the way they present the material. Mm-hmm. But the genre paintings all show people seriously engaged in what's going on. Mm. None of the ambivalence except for a few of the gypsy paintings, which tend to be, um, you know, somebody pulling some trick. There's somebody, as one person's being read, somebody else is picking their pocket or something. There's a few mm. of those that go back a couple of hundred years. But other than that, all the... Um, and a few ones, I should say, of, of young women who are hoping for, um, you know, somebody to find their their husband. Those right. are kind of de- dealt with a little bit humorously, and um, there's an innocent sweetness and a little humor in them. But the ones where they have, like, a group of people, a young couple, um, you know, the, this home life, sometimes a whole mm-hmm. family sitting around a table, they're all deadly serious. Mm-hmm and really focused on what they're doing. Hmm. And I found that absolutely amazing. Yeah. Because the the picture documentation is this is something that people did as seriously as they would go to a doctor That's or right. people would go to a therapist today. Yeah. It um and I was so amazed and Although there's older women, and you occasionally will get the stuff with, you know, bats in the back, bats and cats and mm. owls and even crocodiles, right, <laughs> stuffed crocodiles right. in the back. You'll get occasionally something like that. But for the most part, it's just a normal home scene. The older woman is somebody that you would feel could really understand what it is that your um, your issue, yeah. that where you might really get some if not help, then at least understanding right. somebody you could tell anything to. Even when it's shown in like a family community um, there, that this is somebody who could really help sort out your problems. Mm-hmm. You know, I find that very comforting because that's my experience of going to have a tarot reading today. Everybody that I know who is either does readings or you know gets readings done for them there that's the the quality of attention and concentration that's brought to it yeah and because of the fact that there's these a few oddities that try and make it into um uh, some superficial woo woo thing um the very fact that there are so many images that counter that say that there's always been this ambivalent view mm-hmm. as to what the real value and what's really going on yes. in this work. That there are lots and lots of people who have found consolation, help, um, you know, something in, that really impresses them in what happens and that they found it very worthwhile. At the same time that there's always been people who feel it's really necessary to um, make it into a joke right that's right and uh, the contrast is just amazing mm-hmm. well and I mean, humans are are symbol creators and we are our brains i think that's just part of our brain we 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 find patterns 
And I guess yeah. both both of those types of responses you're describing are ways of finding patterns. Either the pattern is one of dismissal, oh yeah, this is part of that stuff with the bats and the, the crocodiles, or yeah. the pattern is one of deep engagement. But in either case, it's really that same function of our myth-making, our meaning-generating mind. Yeah, yeah. Which we do. We, we're constantly giving meaning to it, and we can analyze and see the variety of them in the pictures yeah. because we don't have very many uh, documents that tell us who these, you know, who the cartomancers historically were, yeah. uh, how they operated. There's very little of that in writing, and most of it is derisive in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. But the pictures aren't, for the most part, the, the large majority of them are not. I just think that's fascinating. Are you? I, last we spoke, you were planning on publishing this. If you could find somebody who would actually do a good job with the reproductions of these paintings. Yeah, and yeah. I have no idea if that's ever going to yeah. happen. And they uh, probably wouldn't do it as a full book of them, so it would be uh-huh. a selection of just a couple. Yeah. So what I might do is, um, right now my WordPress is... Um, uh, is pretty much full. If I go into more, I start paying, you know, oh. <laughs> paying a lot of money. So what I'm thinking is that I can uh, put up an ang- uh, auxiliary um, blog yeah. um, and just link from mine to that that other one yeah. that will focus more on the cardamancers and be able to put more of a range of the images in. Because also I can use lower res imagery right. on the uh, blog than we can in a book, and yes. save maybe some of the really. Um, top quality ones mm. uh, or if I can find a publisher yes. for a larger uh, book I'm, I'm hoping to do a book on the history and practice of cardamancy fascinating we, we've been talking with Mary Greer here on Dream Talk Radio this morning Mary is a longtime uh, Tarot scholar and practitioner and uh, written several books on Tarot I think probably the first book I ever read was, which was Tarot for Yourself and uh, as well as other fascinating books like Women of the Golden Dawn and other stuff. So, uh, Mary, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. And, uh, see, people should then uh, find your WordPress blog at marygreer.wordpress.com. And you do have some of the pictures up of this, fi- this the history of cardamancy on that blog now. Absolutely. It's, it's up there in, um, I think, Origins of uh, Playing Card Divination. Mm-hmm. It's, it's usually one of the ones that's featured at the top. Mm. Anything else you want to let people know about, stuff that's coming up soon? Or? Um, well, I'm going to be traveling, but a lot of it is Australia, New Zealand, okay. um, England, uh, and this in about um, 10 days uh, at the Omega Institute in upstate New York, okay. uh, where there will be a weekend tarot conference and followed by a five-day workshop with Rachel Pollack and myself. Oh, and that um, the weekend is the um, 11th, 12th, and 13th, and then five days from uh, the 14th of June to the 18th. How fabulous. So, uh, that's probably too quick for anybody to do too much <laughs> Then I'll be out of the country teaching. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much for uh, for talking this morning on symbols and tarot and dreams. It's been really uh, stimulating as always. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed it. 
That ends this week's Dream Talk radio show podcast. Thanks for listening, and remember to tune in every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. at www.kows.fm. This is Ann Hill, and I'll see you again next week.